What is up, everyone listening out there in Tiger Nation? Welcome back to episode three of the Hold That Podcast podcast with T-Bob Bear and Brody Miller of The Athletic. What a week it was. Uh, we'll get into it. We'll talk some Georgia Southern, and then we're going to talk about the big story, the matter at hand, LSU versus Texas. It's finally happening. We've been waiting all offseason, and it's finally here. But before we dive into that, Brody Miller, kids work at The Athletic. Brody, what's going on, man? How you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'll be a little better when I'm in Austin on uh, 6th Street in two days. But right now, I'm doing pretty well. Man, I know. I'm jealous. One of the uh, – I love this job. It's an incredible job. <laughs> but, but because we built um, that badass studio upstairs, which, again, is like the main reason why I decided to leave my old job and come here. Love that studio. Uh, but because of that um, – we have to be in studio, so no Austin trip. For it's going to be a good turnout, man. Boy. A lot of people going to be. Out I there know, game. and Austin's going to be awesome, and the actual game itself is going to be electric and college game day and everything else. And I'll be stuck in a studio with Matt Moscona for five hours on game day. There so. are better ways to spend a day. Yeah, yeah that is. Uh, yeah. But such is my lot in life. I might be in Austin three times this year. I was there for baseball in March. Okay, going to be here this weekend. And basketball's there in November. That's right. That's and I have right. no reason to go cover that, but I'm just trying to convince them to send me so I can really do the trifecta in Austin. Well, was... hopefully uh, hopefully the football trip goes a little bit better than that baseball trip <laughs> went, uh, went earlier this year. That was a bloodbath, that was for sure. There was some sad, sad, sad pulmonary that day. Ah, uh, very sad, Maneri. And if you've seen sad Maneri, it's even more sad than normal human being. But that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're right. here to talk about... Football. And uh, before we dive into Texas, Brody, let's real cra- recap real quick, because I think we've talked about a lot at this point, but what you saw in that Georgia Southern game. Uh, the first episode of the show, you mentioned the the acronym ITOS, if the offense succeeds. That was the expectation that we were operating under. We were trying to project what this team will do. Well, with one test in the books, uh, it was a massive success. I mean, they were about as perfect as you can be when it, come, uh, when it comes to offensive football. Are, are you willing to say, though, that ITOS, has that question been fully answered? Has that been confirmed? Or uh, do you need to see it this weekend against Texas? Yeah, because like, it depends, I guess, how you're viewing it. Because it's a success in the term of, wow, they actually did it. They actually modernized their offense and changed. and Because like, that's the whole thing. Even aside from success, people are just like, oh, you say it's going to look different every year. It never does. So they did succeed, and oh, it's actually a modern offense. It's spread. It's RPOs. Like, point. They pulled it off. Success, I mean, it was off the chart successful, but as you said, I, I just don't think anyone can really be like, they did it. This is an offense that can compete for a playoff until you see it against Texas. And one might even argue you really don't buy it until you see them play. I don't know. What's their first big SEC test? Is it is it Auburn? I mean, I'll still, I mean, uh, defensively, sure, right? I yeah. mean, Auburn, you saw them against Oregon. Uh, that looks like that should be one of the better defenses that they will face all season long. But um, if you go out there and you play very well against Texas, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, think I'll still give you the, uh, I'll still go ahead and buy fully in. I mean, I guess. Especially I've if you play of, like 40 on them or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess I've kind of been bought in um, throughout a lot of the offseason because I've just I've liked what I saw during spring and what I heard people talking about, but it definitely was nice to see it on game day. Yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow, anytime you throw more touchdowns than you have in completions, uh, you played a pretty flawless game. And uh, although there were maybe a couple throws that he would want to get back, uh, him in that offense was about as perfect as you could be. Um, who besides Burrow, because his numbers are so gaudy, five touchdowns the first yeah. half, 278 yards, 
Who besides Burrow were you uh, impressed with? I mean, I think the easy answer's got to be got to be Terrace Marshall. I mean, Terrace Marshall's somebody who, I mean, he was the bigger recruit than Jamar Chase coming in. I mean, everyone knew he had he had, he has more physical tools than maybe anyone on that entire offense, right? And he's and you just never got to see it last year because of his leg injury, because maybe he had to learn some things. I mean, he admits last season was a fog for him. And to see him go in, the joke was, you know, hey, he didn't catch any touchdowns last year. The whole team was kind of making him fun, making fun of him for that. And then he catches three on Saturday. And, and you saw him do it in different ways, right? You saw one kind of deeper in the end zone yeah. on a tough route, one on a screen, one on kind of just a tight space play. I mean, he showed what he's capable of. Because I think we already know what Justin Jefferson is. And he proved it. He was their leading receiver. We it, act- is, is it, it is interesting that still, and I think we touched on this last week, that Justin Jefferson is kind of under-talked about, and still he goes out there, and he has the best overall game for any receiver. I mean, I know yeah. Terrace Marshall caught three touchdowns, but Jefferson with the five catches, what was it, like 87 yards? Uh, Jefferson uh, was 87. Yeah. 87 yards. He had a touchdown as well. Um, and then Chase and yet, also had like, a touchdown. we're kind of talking about Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall yeah. and Dad Moss and for whatever reason, once again, Justin Jefferson just kind of lost in the mix. Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think the story is just the fact that like everyone was saying, okay, everyone knows how much talent that receiver, and that's as we always talk about on the show, it's always been the story at LSU. They've always had talent there. That's true. Can they figure out a way to actually utilize all of them? And this was the first time you actually saw, okay, they actually are following through on that. And I think that all comes down to the scheme where it's not this play is designed for Justin Jefferson. I don't think we saw that at all. It was what's the betting on what defense they're yes. in, where's the space going to be, and Burrow made that decision usually two seconds half the time. and That was the most impressive thing. Yeah, who is the uh, – and, and the, you know what? That's why the offensive line doesn't give up a sack, right? <laughs> so you don't have your starting left tackle, Sadiq Charles out. You even play uh, – is it Dari or Dare? I remember people saying Dari at first, and now everybody's saying Dare. So, like, I'm confused in the I always thought it was Dare, but I wasn't here during his recruitment and whatnot. I could be completely wrong. Um, We'll just go with Rosenthal. Uh, like you it, even yeah. played 51. Yeah, you even played Rosenthal left tackle. Uh, he didn't really look that good. Chasing Hines looked rusty at left yeah. guard. McGee didn't look great. And so, and while those are points of concern going forward into this week versus Texas, still, despite all that, you did not give up a single sack on Saturday. Why? Because you gave the quarterback options and he got rid of the ball. Uh, it's what we have been yelling about forever now, and it just feels like vindication, validation, uh, 14 different receivers catch the ball. Oh, only 13 caught a ball all of last season. Five different running backs catch a ball. Only four running backs caught uh, balls all of last season. So it was a just transcendent performance. And, and, and it's something that resonates, doesn't really resonate on the national scale. Most national media is going to see 55-3 uh, against Georgia Southern. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what you should do. But if you've been living in the LSU weeds for the past few years and you know how these games normally go, and normally it's grinding and it's bad feeling. And like maybe you're up like 17 to seven and a half. And then you like break away in the early fourth and you make it like, like 35, 17. Like it never was just throats to step on the throat, domination, ruthlessly efficient, beginning to end. And for that reason, I think a lot of LSU fans are making a lot more of this George Southern game than the national media is. And, and, and I'm right there with them because it feels, Brody, like. I said this out on my show Monday. Um, I feel like I know what the Jews felt like after wandering the desert for 40 years. Um, right? They're just, they're hungry. Wow. They're tired. They're desperate for any modicum of success. Their bellies need that. Just you won two national pain. titles in the past 20 years. I don't want to hear Chill that. out. <laughs> Chill out. We did have good offense. Okay, we did when we won those, but I'm talking about the past 10 years, Brody, okay? All right, all right. 
Okay, so maybe we weren't like the Jews for 40 <laughs> LSU, years, yeah. for 40 years in the desert, but we've been there for 10. And finally, um, it was the redhead who parts the Red Sea and some wow. combination of collaborative effort between Insminger and Joe Brady, and here we are. We have been led to the offensive promise land, Brody. We're fucking sipping down milk and honey all season. Can you feel it? The shackles are off. That's my point. It feels like the offensive shackles are off. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Hear that, Marcus? Yeah, we <laughs> Alabama, we have a, we have a intern young in here in studio, yeah. Marcus, and we figured out he's an Alabama fan. So we're going to make him listen to this entire hour-long LSU podcast. And he just had to sit and watch that rant. Yeah. But, I mean, no, you're you're right. And it's not – you're right. National media is not going to make a big thing of it. But I did see a few national people already move them up in their personal power rankings based off how it looked. But it's not about the 55-3. It was about the optics, as we said. It's yes. about – just the way things looked, and things looked so fluid, and everything was on command. Boom, I'm, boom, boom. It it felt better than my wildest dreams could have imagined. Yeah, and, and even I've rewatched the game like agree. three times now. And and your film breakdown was great, by the way. Sup? Um, check it out on the Athletic. Um, the the RPO back shoulder fade was a thing of uh, beauty. Yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, what what stood out to me that I didn't get the first time watching it, but it but it, but it further revealed itself the more I watched the. Tempo was astounding. I, I mean, I mean, it was a rocket pace, especially when when then the ball would switch sides and you'd go with a more traditional huddle attack from Georgia Southern, and they felt like they were moving glacially, like, <laughs> yeah. like it felt like molasses. Whereas LSU, you don't even have to fast forward in between plays if you're watching the TV copy because they're lined up and they're ready to go again. And, yeah, first, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I never saw a ball go past, like, 27 on the play clock when they were still in, like, go-go-go mode. But it was even, like, the little things. I was sitting next to Jeff Duncan, who knows the Saints better than maybe anyone. Yep. And it was and he was saying so many of the things he would see, like, for example, okay, they, they get stopped on a third and one or so. And and it was just boom, 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 like like clockwork. Get back to the line, burrow under center, QB sneak. That's a thing the Saints and the Patriots both live on of that. Just get in there for the QB sneak before anyone can get ready. Or the fourth and one. They knew what they were doing. They need to sit back and be like, hey, you know, what what are you guys thinking? You know, there's none of that. It was they knew for a fact in that situation, you know, Tory Carter ran on, either Moss or Sullivan, I forget which tight end was in. I mean they subbed. That was the most impressive part. To yeah. your point, they subbed on a fourth and one and still and got like, it off. Clock, I think it was twenty six when they snapped it, and boom, run up the middle for ten yards. Defense was not ready. It was it was more than yeah, so it was just those things like that that it was like, oh, this is a team that knows what it's doing. You know, we'll see in the long run how inventive they are and how, you know, if their defense offensive schemes can beat a, a Todd Grantham and some of these better DCs, that's one that's another discussion. But overall, this was just the best run, best executed LSU offense I've seen since my short time here. Yeah, and one thing that they did in this Georgia Southern game that they did not do, uh, they have not done against similar competition in the past, is it's not that they played mistake-free football because there's a holding penalty. There was a false start. Um, there were a couple of breakdowns of protection. There were a couple of runs where, and actually, you know, the running game still something you want to keep an eye on because yeah, it was it wasn't dominant, and there were a couple of times you got stopped for no gain. Definitely. Um, but in the past, those are drive killers. That happens, and you're done. You're going to punt the ball, and everybody's going to be mad. This new offense, the ability to overcome that adversity, to overcome that mistakes, it was on display. I mean, the holding penalty meant nothing. They still went and scored. The the false start meant nothing. They still went and scored. Yeah. It just the list goes um, goes on and on. So so uh, I want to talk about the defense real quick. Anything on the offense before we move on that we left well, out? I want to ask you one other thing, because yeah. speaking of LSU not normally blowing these opponents out and whatnot in past years, southeastern Louisiana is a great example for the offensive line. 
you know, that was a game that should have been a cupcake blowout win, and they got destroyed in the pass rush primarily yeah. Bedard Traore. Gave them multiple sacks <laughs> last year. So I'm curious from your perspective as our resident offensive line guru here, yeah. what did you see from both Traore and Deculus on those tackles? Um, I thought Deculus played well. Um, like he, I feel good about him going forward. Um, I thought Traore played, Traore played good, not great. Okay. Uh, Rosenthal's definitely not ready to play on this level yeah. yet, but you're, you're going to get a significant upgrade even in uh, in, in, in going Triora or from Triora to Sadiq Charles. I still, I mean, the, the position I'm most am happy with though is left guard. Um, Chase and Hines, yeah. yeah. Chase and Hines had some missed assignments. Um, Adrian McGee, I, you know, I love his effort and I love that he, you know, he, he's fighting as hard as he can, but it's just not, he's just not the best. He just plays a little high sometimes. He gets run around sometimes. Um, I mean, I would kind of want to see Triora potentially at that now, left guard yeah. spot. Uh, and depending on where Chase and Hines is in his development. But but I think you're going to get a big upgrade with Sadiq coming back this week, which is good because some will get to, but um, it seems like Ed Ogeron is expecting them to really try and challenge that LSU offensive line. A lot of blitzes, a lot of pressures, trying to confuse them, trying to confuse Burrow. and Which to me feels like a mistake. Okay, so that's that's the, that's the question then, right? Because and this is what, a nice little subtle transition in the text. In, yeah, right. In, in, the, in the NFL – when you when you blitz an elite quarterback, when you blitz a Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, they eat you alive. Yeah. They skin you and they drink your blood while you're still alive, and then they kill you. And why? It's because you're adding a number out of coverage into the pass rush, meaning that you are opening up a hole somewhere, and an elite quarterback with options will find that hole. So this is if they do get as blitz heavy as Ogeron was alluding to, this will be a fascinating test for Burrow is like is he I mean what I'm not saying he's Breeze Brady Brady no. Rogers but like is he like the caliber of quarterback that if you try to confuse him and get pressed like can he make you pay and first off I mean based off what we saw and just based off his decision making I kind of do think that just you know I think he has his flaws I'm never gonna argue that but but his greatest strength in my opinion is his decision making and his or even more not even decision making just brain the ability to process but I think the way you can beat LSU, your biggest weakness is it's one of the teams that, if they look like they did last year, you can get a rush with four guys. Yeah. Like, that is your advantage. I don't think you need to rush against a team that's trying to get the ball out quick because, like everything you just said, it's hurting your numbers in the back end as long as Burrow can make those decisions. Now they're going to do more checkdowns to running backs, tight ends, things like that. I think the way you have a chance to beat LSU is keep everybody back in coverage and see if you can beat them with a four-man rush. That's kind of your... I'm not gonna say only chance, but your best chance in my now, opinion. Now, now, but wasn't that that now that was also one of Texas' biggest weaknesses last yes, year, right? But they, was but, that defensive line, and that's or, after, or creating a four-man rush. Same thing that LSU went through last year after they lost Caleb on Chase. On all of a sudden, they're having to get real creative to try to create that pressure. That's 100 percent true. But all of the, and I mean, I'm not claiming I know because I'm not gonna base an opinion off the Louisiana Tech game yet. But that that pass rush that struggled last year. Those guys are pretty much all gone. I don't have the exact number on me. Don't sorry, I'm not too great at my research. Yeah, here. it's all good. But I'm th- not either. Th- those guys were pretty much all seniors, and you know Tom Herman's been recruiting pretty well. I th- it's a different group of guys, so it's almost hard to judge that. Like you could argue it might actually be an upgrade this year with some of the the young talent developing. You know, I heard it looked a little better against Louisiana Tech. They only had one sack, but I heard they got some pressure. I'm I'm not going to judge it until we see it. But I- yeah, the the Texas writers seem to be. Um... So, so yeah, one thing same. I love about the athletic, right, is that you can uh, very, very easily get information on whatever team uh, you're playing that week. And so I've been popping over to the Texas 
section lately and seen what they're writing. You can about get 40% it. off on a subscription right now. Hit me oh, up. There you go. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and honestly, yeah, it seems like they're very pleased with how the D line performed against Louisiana Tech in game one and as far as how it relates to last season. Um, but the strength of that defense is in their linebacking core and their secondary, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so when it comes to secondaries, Texas out there wearing the DBU shirts. There's only one DBU. Now they're trying to say that, well, it's not about anybody else. It's about Texas, about honoring our past. That's some PR and, coaching by a – Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, mega PR coaching. Like, you can't have a shirt that says there's only one or, like, the real <laughs> DBU. Like, yeah. that, that if you is, just said DBU, I would listen to that yeah. argument. It's like, all right, you know, but you said the real. That's what I'm saying. That statement inherently challenges yeah. anybody else who calls himself DBU and – Perhaps no other fan base or team takes that title as seriously so, as does LSU. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's exhausting. And uh, so so what do you think, though, man? I've been asked this question a few times. Do you think that's actual added motivation for this LSU team? I mean, knowing those LSU secondary guys, yes. I mean, I mean, I think you're spot on. I think I know Grant Delpit's going to get a little offended by that. I know Kerry Vincent's probably going to get offended by that. Christian Fulton's a little less like you know talkative about it, but I bet he's quietly feeling that. The only person probably unaffected is Derek Stingley because I don't know if he feels emotions. But <laughs> that guy's a robot in like he all is, the best ways. But uh, oh, I absolutely think that's going to light a fire under them, and and even like knowing like the Calevon Ch- Chassons of the world, that's going to fire them up and whatnot. Well, did you see Calevon yesterday when he was asked about it? He hit him with the uh, straight up no comment when it uh, <laughs> when it, I am. It's a one, fun week for Calevon. I am one. Thousand percent here for uber confident Calebon. He, he reminds me of the LeBron me. meme where LeBron has the do rag and the cigarette in his mouth, <laughs> and he's like, "I don't care, you know, Jorge, fucking whatever, war calves and six. I can't remember the exact meme, but like the kind of nonchalant. I'm the man. Everybody else, like, just accept it. I'm the man. You suck. I'm gonna beat your ass. And that that's a confidence that some people say it's cocky. Or you shouldn't be saying these things. First off, I think it's fun when people talk trash to each other through the media, even yeah. though whatever technically is bulletin board material and a coach will tell you not to do it. Uh, but secondly, if you're the man, go be the fucking man. It's the Ric <laughs> Flair techniques, right? So if he's in there and, and, and after the game he wants to be like, yeah, I don't think Sam Ellinger's all that, good, say that. And now go back it up on the field. And with what we witnessed with Caleb on in game number one, uh, killing two people basically. Yeah, murder. Um, getting his sack taken away and then in his rage – Forcing a fumble and taking out their RB one, like, like Calevon is ready to take that step and be the man, and he's going to have to be because when I look at this game, uh, and you look at this Texas team, the only path that I see to them to win is uh, Sam Ellinger just balling out, yeah. just going Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Vince Young, like whichever great performance you want to think about, putting the team on his back and balling out because the running back group is devast- devastated in a way I've never seen yeah. through injuries. Um, defensively, they are still working in eight new guys on that Texas defense. So I think they only have one game of LSU offensive film to really break down, whereas Dave Aranda and and one of the most talented LSU defenses I've ever seen has years' worth of Herman film to break down. So, like, what's the only way they win? Is Sam Ellinger being transcendent. And he can be. Absolutely. He's a stud. He had 41 touchdowns that he accounted for last year. He threw for 25, ran for 16 but Calevon can also be the single most disruptive piece when it comes to stopping Ellinger. I'm so glad you brought up Calevon because I have so many thoughts on Calevon. He's maybe my favorite human being to discuss on this <laughs> team because he's fascinating. And I, th- I, I think as of now, I'll have a profile of him running in the next day or two. But oh, nice. I mean, the best part about his trash talking is it's not even like 
like a obnoxious like I'm going out of my way to trash talk. It's just subtle, you know. It's just like yeah, I just don't really think they're that good. It's you know? the uber disrespect <laughs> because it's honest. Yeah, it's just he's like sincere. Yeah, he's not like he's I'm not really like, scared of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not like insulting these people to insult them. He just. It's like he said, he even hit basically Ellinger with the no offense. He was like, I mean, I just don't think he's that much of a threat. I mean, it's nothing against him, like, good player or whatever. I, just, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> and the I mean, best thing about, like, Caleb on this past month finally talking to us, because he's somebody who had we had never really talked to. I mean, he was tough to get a hold of during his recruitment, I've heard from reporters. I mean, there's a story of people having to track him down to talk to him. He chose not to talk to us last year before his injury. It was like, I don't want to I don't want to talk to the media. And now we're finally getting him. And I had talked to SID people on LSU, and they're like, if this guy ever talks, he's going to be a star, just like yeah. personality-wise. Yeah. And now you have him just like going on one. I mean, yesterday him talking about the whole – his comments from Saturday was fascinating. Because on TV he was talking to them like, man, I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. Oh, which I love. And then to us, you know, we're talking about He's like, man, people ran with that. And he was just like <laughs> – and he was – and then we were talking to him about – uh <laughs> The sack that got taken away, and then the next play knocking a guy out, and he's like, "Man, can you believe that?" Because <laughs> Lord knows he wants to break that sack. Yes, dude, you got to. I mean, if you a, a sack against a triple option team, Ooh, it's yeah. a golden nugget. I mean, that's <laughs> like that's like you struck it rich, and he had it, and then the delay a game ended up costing him. So yeah, and then you, you know talk to pissed. anyone on the team about that next hit, and they're like, "Man, he clearly just wanted to root." Because then the next play was when yes. he knocked that guy out. On the, I mean, you don't want to make light of somebody getting hurt. That was brutal. But but that guy was not. No, but, out. but it is football. I mean, right? And there's, it's what it's, you know, sad. Whatever, whatever kind of referendum it means about our culture, we love when people get this shit kicked out of them in football. Like, we have to act like we don't now. Yes. And there are still hits that are scary. But for the most part, we love when people get lit up. Yeah. And he was joking. He's like, Man, I, like right after hitting it, I was like, "Oh yeah, they call targeting on these things now." And he's like looking up, like, "Was that targeting?" And he's like, "No, nah, I guess I'm good." Because think about it, he's never really played in the targeting it's true. era. <laughs> it's true. The wildest part was he hit him so hard that he has one of those hits where like, Calevon's body actually like almost reacted more than the other guys. I don't, I don't know the <laughs> physics of it, but 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 like Calevon's legs like flew out from under him, but then he popped right up. I mean, he then. was fully horizontal if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, that was exactly a, laid him out. And, but uh, the to answer your not. overall point, yeah, Calevon is probably the key to this game. You you have a good feeling about. I mean, Colin Johnson's tough. He's going to make his plays. He's going to get his probably. But you feel pretty good about the LSU secondary in that matchup. Yeah. But the way you're going to seal this game, know for sure you're going to win it, is if Calevon can be that factor you think he is and just be that guy you can send for, not have to get too creative, rely on your secondary, and just let him get that rush. And if he can do that, then I think it's a given LSU win. And, and what else I'm interested to see, um, I know you read that Bruce Feldman piece the other day uh, yeah, about about Dave Aranda um, and, and his come up. And one thing that Dave Rand had to do a lot last year and that he's always done in his career is this idea of simulated pressures, right, where he's still only sending four, but he's sending them from a lot of weird angles. What I love about this year's defense is that now you have Caleb on, and he can have a direct impact on the quarterback just through his own pass rush, um, which, I mean, and look, if you're wondering why defensive ends get paid so much money, football is a sport that is um, disproportionate proportionately, your level of success all depends on your quarterback being successful. So if you have someone that can disrupt that quarterback, that means the difference in points, which then translates to differences in wins and losses. So he can have that direct impact. But even more so, he commands focus. You have yeah. to slide your protection to him. So then that opens up a whole nother avenue of attack for Dave Aranda where – 
He can still only bring four, but maybe he drops the other outside linebacker off and brings it to Jacoby Stevens from an interesting yeah. angle. Like, there's a lot of different things that he could do, different avenues that he can 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 look to exploit because of even the focus that Calevon is going to command from Texas. And even, I mean, I would imagine it also just opens things up for those other defensive linemen, especially apparently they're playing a much more attacking style this year. We'll find that out this week. But, I mean, I imagine, you know, if you have to double-team Caleb on, that opens things up for a Richard. Or, yes. or they talk a lot about playing Tyler Shelvin in, in, a, in a shade more to get him in better pass rush situations. Shelvin looked good. He did look really good. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's even going to help the defensive line. It's just everything. It's almost like how we always talk about the pass protections last year and how that affected the offensive, the entire offense. Yep. Caleb on affected everything with that defense. My One of my favorite Ed Ogeron quotes from this summer was, it was, when he went down, we had to do things that LSU just simply isn't supposed to do. He's like, we shouldn't have to do those things at LSU. And it was what you were saying, all the creative stuff he had to do. If you can just send that four-man rush and you have maybe the best secondary in America, you should have an advantage in every game. Yeah, I mean, you look, LSU had guys like uh, Barkevius Mingo, Sam Montgomery. Uh, you get Arden Key. And then you had Caleb on looking like he was ready to be the next guy in last year. Delayed that timeline, but it looks like he's still arriving. Um, so, okay, so obviously Calvon looked like a stone-cold murderer in week number one. Uh, what were your other takeaways from the defensive performance against Georgia Southern? Uh, Jacoby Stevens. Yeah. I mean, granted, that game was literally perfect for him, which, by the way. <laughs> it's true. It's a triple option team, and he's like a safety <laughs> hybrid. And that was my big thing I said on the radio to you last week. I'm like, you're like, who's the guys on defense that support? And I'm like, Jacoby Stevens it's and Grant Delpit. Yeah. Because you need the – so, hey, I like to pat myself on the back. So. Nailed it. Uh, but Jacoby Stevens, first off, yeah, it was just a perfect matchup. He's made for that where you want somebody who can play like an outside linebacker but still be athletic enough to keep up with those guys. It, that won't be as good a matchup maybe every game. But he just, even physically, just the confidence he plays in, because he would tell you he was not confident until maybe the last two games last year. He just looked like a guy who has the tools to be a star. Yeah. And obviously you're going to have problems as the year goes on with how you use them against certain teams that know how to pass. That's going to be a problem, and I'm sure they have plans for it. you got enough bodies to move around. But he just looked like, in the box, he can be a legitimate outside linebacker. Not just like a gimmick that's like, oh, he's kind of quick. He, he looked like you're not actually sacrificing anything by putting him in the box. Yeah, like, and that, that's kind of what we talked about last week was like, uh, LSU would want to play a lot of three safety ideally. Uh, but generally, the drawback when you play with three safeties on the field is your run defense suffers. But with the maybe increased talent of that defensive line, a linebacking core that looks like really, really deep. Really deep. And, and, and then, like you said, just Jacoby's skill set. Um, I don't know how much you actually are sacrificing. Yeah. And you still got Grant Delpa. That's the other thing. And he's uh, yeah. one of your best run stuffers. We haven't even mentioned him. He looks like a panther out there. <laughs> like his like his body, he's got that sort of uh, predatory hunch to him. If you watch like a big cat <laughs> yeah, stalking like a, in the grass. Yeah, you know shoulders what I'm saying? are a little hunched you see, over. You see, you see, you see like him a just, creep with his yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah, very languid, very fluid, but like a little a little, a little bent in, 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 in a big cat type of way. So like... I'm always expecting Grant Delpit to just jump out of a tree and maul someone. And uh, and the best play was, some that, of that. was that like third down, I think it was, when, when Jacoby, like they could have had an angle. It was getting close. They might have gotten a first down. And then Jacoby and Grant like together collided <laughs> on that pitch, man. It was just like, okay, this is what this can be. Because keep in mind, Grant was playing back. It wasn't like he was creeping up. And he yeah. flew there and beat him at the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, just that combination. Then there's going to be times when Grant's the guy at the line of scrimmage. They're still going to do that quite a bit, I think. I mean, that that – those options are pretty endless. And so, uh, okay, so Jacoby was great. Yeah, who Graham jumped out to great. you? Um, yeah, Shelvin's another. 
Yeah, I think Shelvin. I, I was very impressed, with Shelvin. I, I love. I do love how Coach O kind of challenged Shelvin in the uh, press conference this Monday, though, or Tuesday, where he said um, he, he basically said, "Look, yeah, I mean, Shelvin was really good, but kind of like you know the entire team, they got to go prove it against Texas this Saturday. Like it's one thing for Shelvin to be dominant against George Southern. That's what expected of a former number one player in the state. Can he carry that performance over to Texas? And, I, and the reason why I feel pretty good about it is because." He looked like he's in great shape. He yes. looked fast. He looked strong. He made plays. It wasn't just like he played well. He had like six tackles, including yeah. a TFL. Like he made like he had a huge impact. And um and then I thought Ica looked all right. Ica's a little slower still, a little more plodding, I think, compared to a Shelvin who felt a little more explosive. Um Short Lawrence really Which solid. is funny because the scout on both of them is actually the other way around. Like Ike is supposed to be the like. So so, what did you one. see? I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I watched those guys like super That's close. Like I was I, grading the position, but just from my couple viewings, I just felt like Ike um, looked a little bit more like a freshman than Shelvin did, which is completely to be expected. Yeah, that was my quick takeaway. And what I mean, what I'll say is, I'll admit, when I was rewatching this game, I almost I focused so much on the offense because that's not really the yes. defense we're going to see. Yeah, that's, a good that's really not we're going. So I tried not to watch too much. You just had to basically watch them positionally how certain guys looked and the guys who jumped out were Tyler Shelvin, Damone Clark, and Jacoby Stevens. Those were the three that were like, oh, those guys So that is uh well actually before we move on from D line, uh, I thought that Glenn Logan played well. Braid is Braid of Fahoko uh, is his playing time. I mean he's I know look I know that he, he still got in, but the rise of Glenn Logan has been impressive. Ocheron gave him props in the press conference. He played well and it's looking like Fahoko still has a huge role to play on this team, but losing some reps right now to Logan. Because it wasn't even like, oh, he rotated in the next drive. No, it was like, I don't think he came in until the third. Took a while. Yeah, I mean, that's not a great sign. Then today, yesterday at practice, which you never want to make too much of that, especially from a first day of practice thing. But he was at nose tackle, so he was maybe Fahoko was. Yes, and you know, as you know, he played the first six games last mm. year there. Do you mess with him there? Maybe just in pass rush situations, I don't know. He could be a good pass rush, you know. Eh, it didn't work last year. It didn't work. Yeah, he had a couple times. I mean, Fogo should really almost be a three-tech, I think, in an ideal world. Um, and definitely the defensive end in Aranda's position fits him better than that straight-up nose. So that would be a bit disappointing just because I had a um, – I was expecting very big things out of Fogo. And yeah. it's a long season, and, and, and we'll see. But but it's, it's more of a credit to Glenn Logan even that uh, – they feel like they can maybe move him around that much. Because he's somebody the first, like, I don't know, seven, eight games of last year was just really forgettable. You know, yeah. he you know held his block. It's not like he got beat, but he never made a play. It was just kind of did his job, which is fine. That's he's part of Logan or for Hogan? Lo- Logan, sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then the last, like, three, like, five games of the year, I'd say, he looked like a different player. Yeah. He had, I think, two or three sacks last five games, a few tackles for loss, a lot of pressures. You saw him get more aggressive, which I remember him telling us last year. It was like, I just kind of was playing tentative, which goes back to a lot of the things they're changing with the defensive line and how the players asked for that. They want to be more attacking, and I think it helps them. And I think that really helped Logan. He started saying, all right, not, don't be tentative. Just go go make a play, and he started making him. So I think he's somebody who is underrated because he was kind of the forgotten, like you said, the third guy in that rotation, the forgotten one. But he might be – he's more productive over, over he, time. He, he was more productive than Fogo was this last game for sure. So we'll see if that continues. Um, also – a credit to him. Uh, you, you could tell Ojeron really enjoyed this. What, what, what's the old cliche? Uh, the best ability is availability. <laughs> Never um, misread. Well, uh, I think Logan is the only lineman Ojeron was saying on either the offensive or defensive side of the ball who didn't miss a single snap during preseason camp. So yeah. he was there every day. 
Um, another guy that you mentioned that we must talk about is uh, Damone yeah. Clark because he was brought up constantly leading up to this game throughout camp as someone who was just starting to really ball out and just like rocketing up the depth chart. And so we get our first look at Damone Clark, and he looked spectacular. He's a physical freak. Finishes with nine tackles. Doesn't look – I mean, I guess he's a redshirt freshman, so that makes sense. Does not look like yeah. a freshman at all, right? He was redshirt at right? Yeah. No, he played special teams, I think. He was a, I think he was a sophomore. Oh, so he's a true sophomore. I'll double-check as we oh, speak. Oh, I've been sure. wrong this whole time. Well, excuse me. Uh, well, okay, so he's a uh, sophomore then. Um, but but he looks ready to play, man. Nine tackles, including a TFL on a boot-out that was just uh, one of the most – it was a Devin White-esque level of athleticism to bring down Shywerts Like – Shy words hit him with the pump, tried to cut it up inside. A move where you just kind of assumed that the move was going to work as you're watching it live. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Clark's paw just reaches out and tears him down to the ground for a loss. And it was kind of – it's the same reaction I get on some of those Devin White tackles exactly. from years past. Where I'm like, well, like, he should not have been able to do it, and yet he did because of his athleticism. Yeah, and it's – his whole thing is he had to learn kind of how to – play linebacker I mean he's a physical freak and he always has been but you know everyone will tell you he had to kind of just learn the position I don't think he knew what he was doing and I still don't know if you I mean some of those examples you're saying where he was like off the charts impressive he still kind of like did over pursue mess up which is so- a little bit of Devin White true as well especially 100%. in the beginning he was a big kind of over aggressive maybe overrun some guys but then you also make some incredible plays along the way which is kind of where I was getting is that of this linebacking core they're all pretty reliable right you like all of them but of those four, the only one that might have a chance to be a Devin White caliber freak mm. is Damone Clark. Good point. He might He's not there yet, and Devin White wasn't there yet a second year, or maybe till the second half of the second year. So I think you got to give him this time. I, I still think he probably, at the end of the day, is your, your fourth guy in that rotation. I think this was just a good fit for him to get time. But you got to give him that time because he has he's the one with the most upside to be a freak. And so Sadiq Charles was out this first game. Michael Devaney was also out this first game. So the four guys that Brody's talking about, in case you don't know, at linebacker, you got uh, Divinity, Damone Clark, Patrick Queen, and Jacob Phillips. I asked O about it at the press conference uh, earlier, and he said that he expects all four to kind of rotate in and play equal snaps to middle linebacker. Are you buying that? Not equal, no. Yeah. I buy it to some extent because I do think you saw times where like Devin White was so insistent on never leaving the field last year and things like that. The, and then the times he did, they got beat. And like you just didn't have the depth there last year. And that, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if they I mean, kind of – Rotating they, is good for players. If you don't have – like yeah. if it is a manageable talent drop-off from your first group to your second group, absolutely get your guys a breather. Right, It's like in the NBA. Get your guys a breather at a couple points in the middle of the game and have them fresh as hell – for the final push in the fourth quarter. And and to add to all this, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I almost feel like, okay, they knew Michael Devaney wasn't going to play this week. Yep. This was a perfect, we want to hype our, you know, we want this guy to believe in himself, all those kind of things. We want you guys to believe in him, all that. This is a perfect game with Divinity out. Let let this kid shine. But in the grand scheme of things, he's probably not the next guy up. Yeah. I don't know that. I could be completely wrong. He looked incredible. But, like, I wonder if, you know, smarter offenses will be able to fool him and show some weaknesses, things like that. I don't know. But I think this was more of a – it's a triple option. You've won assignment. You know what you're doing. Go go beat him. I guess, I guess for me, and I think a lot of LSU fans are probably feeling this way, uh, where it gets interesting is I just have to see this from – Divinity. Because last time we saw Divinity at inside linebacker, he was not that good at inside linebacker. Now, he was no. very young, uh, but I think back to that Mississippi State game where they got murdered a couple years ago. 
Uh, how many years ago was that now? Three, four? It doesn't matter. When they got dominated in Starkville at Mississippi State, yeah. um, Divinity was all over the place. Uh, Assignment-wise, was way off. And and then when they moved to the edge last year, you know what? He made himself into a very respectable edge rusher. He put up some stats. He would have been – what's the stat with him? Was it the leading senior pressure guy? Like, there was some stat where him returning this year made him the leading pressure guy in the SEC. He was there was there, some yeah. qualifier there that made him number one. But either way, like, uh, you know, a guy that produced from that incident. So, I'm just assuming, okay, yeah, him, Calevon on the outside, that's going to be great. And then they move in the middle, and they've been in love with him all summer. So I guess are you, so you are you buying that he really is that number one inside linebacker? I mean, you have to start being skeptical, but I think so. I yeah. think, and, I, and again, it, I think it just comes down to everything we've said about they don't really play two traditional outside linebackers anymore, and I don't think they will, except for like some third downs, pass rush situations. They just don't. They did this. Well, actually, no, they didn't this week. They played Jacoby there. Yeah. So I I just think it's a matter of we knew Michael Davini is one of our five or six best defenders, and we don't want him off the field when we don't go. Th- to outside linebackers. And yeah, I'm just really interested to see it because we he looked good in the spring game, but we haven't really seen it. And it's just something about like the way his body works. It's a very straight ahead kind of, I just can't, he's not like a lateral guy in my head. Maybe I'm wrong. So I just really want to see what it looks like in a real game and that when he's playing there. And maybe they're going to use that as a strength. Maybe it's a matter of, okay, now we have a guy rushing on the inside who's like a true straight yeah. ahead pass rusher. I don't know. Maybe that's what we're going back to with using all these four guys. They all have different strengths. But I think his biggest strength that anyone will tell you about is he's the communicator on this defense. He's the guy everyone listens to. Well, and that, and that was the word on the street, right? The defense was looking very sloppy. Yep. And Dave, then they switched him and everything changed. Dave Aranda said, said that. Yeah, he's like, we are that first week of spring, it was looking rough. And then Mike Devaney started nagging us because he's like, I want to play inside linebacker. First scrimmage with him, even when he, he was rusty there, the whole defense looked better. So Wow. Dave Rand is not really one who even knows how to BS, I don't think. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you're not, yeah, you're, so, you're absolutely right. But, yeah, I'm skeptical until I see it. I mean, I trust he's a great football player. I mean, he's talented. I just I just can't visualize it yet. Um, And then, and then Jacob Phillips was – Jacob Phillips just looks like a tank. I mean, yeah. the guy's just so thick and fast and former number one linebacker in the nation. I think he's really solid. Patrick Queen, um, for whatever reason, kind of feels like the odd man out right now. Does. But – but but he's someone who he, he still had a nice fumble recovery. Uh, I'm sure they messed with him like he could have scored because it looked like for a second he had an alley right there. Um, but also, I mean, Queen, someone that they used on the outside last year, so maybe there's even some rush packages to with him. So, so I guess the point being, when you look at that inside linebacker group, you have a ton of depth and you have a ton of options. There's a lot of ways that you can get creative uh, with that crew. Um. And so defensively, we talk about D line. We talk a bit about linebackers. You didn't get a lot of insight. Yeah, there's nothing to say. I mean, yeah. There's nothing there. They completely avoided Christian Full, and I thought Christian Full looked good in number one. Uh, but this is the week. This, that's the story of this week, I think personally. Is is the you think it's the LSU DBs against the Texas wide receivers? So tell us a little bit about the Texas wide receivers. I mean, the one you really got to know is Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson is one of the you know he's probably in the. On the top five, top ten receivers in the country this year. I mean, he's a stud. He had 68 catches for 988 yards last year, seven touchdowns. But he's just a long kind of freak, 6'6", 220, but long wingspan, makes ridiculous catches. I mean, LSU has bodies that can probably match up with him. But you have one guy in Christian Fulton who, yeah, I think might be the best corner in the country when he's healthy. But, you know, we've seen it for nine games. Yeah. And then – Derek Stingley. Derek, this is the Derek Stingley game. This is where we find out what Derek Stingley is because he was the most, he was the highest rated cornerback in twenty four seven sports history. 
Like he is one of the most. I didn't realize that he is one of the just like most perfect built in a lab cornerback prospects you will ever make. But now we actually get to see it. So I think you know they have other options though. You know Devin Duvernay is a really athletic guy, five eleven, kind of shifty guy who had forty one catches last year. They like using their running backs in the passing game. So I mean that's more of a linebacker thing, I suppose. But I just think running back at this point, <laughs> touche. But I think that's the story. Is first off, how do they try to cover him? And I asked Ed, but he didn't really give me like a. I don't think he got my question. I was asking like, do you go with one guy on him? Do you have like Fulton follow him? Yeah. Do you go side by side? Because last year they did side by side, if I remember correctly. But this year it's. What do you mean side by side? Like they just oh, like sorry, whatever. Like, one, like, one yeah, guy yeah, plays yeah, left, yeah, one guy okay, plays yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever, whoever kind came of the Seahawks your direction. Style. You're good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we asked Christian Fulton that, and he said that's not. They're gonna. That's not really the plan this year. There's no one side. So I, we've gotten so many vague answers oh, there. So Fulton might be just that's straight up. The, I'm the man. I'm getting your best receiver. I'm gonna shut him down. That's the thing. I. I, I it's possible. I don't know. That's one of the number one things I want to see. Um, as far as Stingley goes, uh, even though he didn't get to do a ton defensively because they didn't throw the ball, um, he looked great punt returning. I mean, so LSU had 99 Ooh, return yards yeah, last year. Yeah, we glossed over that. Uh, he had 52 in this game alone. Uh, but maybe even more impressive uh, than the return yards themselves is his decision-making was perfect. Like when he had to fair catch it, he fair caught yep. it. And, and, and punt return is an interesting skill set because – it's not um I don't want to say it's not something you could teach, but it kind of isn't something you could teach. Like you can make somebody better, but it's a skill set where some guys just have it and others do not, right? Yeah. You have to have a lot of courage <laughs> because you have to stand there and look directly up in the sky and and catch this ball that's coming from a crazy angle and probably got crazy spin on it. And as you're doing this, you have eleven people running for you're standing still. You have eleven people running as hard as they can to kill you. So, so you have to have courage to be able to kind of have the cojones to stay in there and 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 just catch that ball and be ready to make a move and make a play. You also have to have the spatial awareness yeah. of like, if, okay, uh, I'm getting a quick glance before I look back over the ball and I see where they're at, and I do the quick mental math of like, okay, if he's running this fast there, then he's got like you're actually doing a ton of physics equations subconsciously that they don't even realize. About like like yeah. how how fast the defender is going to get there, and then at the end of the day, after you processed all of that, you have to have the athleticism to catch the ball and then make a move, a split and, decision. Yes, yeah. and 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 Stingley seemed to have it all, man. And you kept hearing about it, and sometimes you just you know, as somebody in the media, you hear them say the same things for nine months. You're just like, I'm sick of hearing this. Yeah, I'll, and then it was like, oh, it's that good. Like, yeah, it wasn't like, yeah. Honestly, if the offense is my number one takeaway from that game, number two, and it's. I'm not exaggerating. My number two biggest takeaway was like, oh, Stingley's that good. Like wow. at, at punt returning. It was yeah. just like that first, re- the second one I think got more yardage, I want to say. Like it was a, made one cut, made a bigger run. But that first one was just like, I think he made, I think I counted five misses. Yeah, second so. one, second one he had a pretty wide open, uh, Lane, yeah. wide open track to land to work But with. that first, I think he made five, maybe more guys miss. It was, it was absurd. It was well, like, oh, he's that natural. And I remember talking to Zach von Rosenberg about him, like what stands out. And he was talking about, He's like that Patrick Peterson ability to just like grab a ball with one hand on a punt return, yep. and just like no problem. I just like I said, I keep saying this, but he's a robot in so many ways, and he is a prototype. I mean, yeah. he looks like to Brody's point. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen such an impressive physical specimen come out of high school. He looks like uh, someone who even in high school looked like he could be like an NFL player immediately, <laughs> and and so you're you're seeing that now. I, I can't wait to even pass coverage. Right, we've heard about all the battles between. 
him and Jamar Chase during this yeah, game and everything. Yep. So let's see him against this Texas wide receiving core. Uh, other areas of the special teams, Avery Atkins was Avery Atkins. Yeah. Just, I mean, kicking the ball to the end zone, what he does. Uh, and Von Rosenberg's limited action, he was solid. Yeah. Still want to see he, him pooch punt. Did he, did punt he what? have a pooch punt? I don't think he did. I think I he said, think he but it was the one he had was really nice. But he averaged like what, like three, three punts. I think he was like three? fifty. I I want. I might say have been the, tuning out the fourth quarter. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I kind of was too. But I want to say the box score said three by the end. Of the game. Okay, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not 100 percent on that. But it was about 50 yards of punt about from what I read. Maybe double check that. But Von Rosenberg was solid. But then obviously K. Jordan is who everybody had yep. their eyes on. The freshman kicker replacing Cole Tracy, and um, he did his job. Two of two, seven of seven on extra points for K. Jordan. Yeah, I mean the big thing was can he handle Tiger Stadium? You know, he's 18 years old. That's a, that's a lot to ask somebody. Yeah. Cole Tracy had joked, he's like, I don't think I could have when I was 18. And yeah, he made his kicks, and there's not too much more to say to that. What's funny is the first, so the 48 yard he nailed late in the game was thing of beauty, right yeah, down the middle. That would have been good gone way further. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the early 33 or whatever it was the 30 yeah. something yard, 39. Um, that thing barely snuck in. And 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 the only reason I bring that up is just because it is funny how small the uh how small the margins are of things that will decide our opinions because if that <laughs> ball is two feet further outside oh, kick, kick. and he misses and it's ready. his first kick and he ends up one and two and it's like oh he sucks we're super worried like i don't can he handle texas and now all because it was two feet to the inside uh we're good we're good and you know what guess what that's kicking that's the name of the game yeah. you perform or you don't and 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 he performs so uh, but but obviously, so there, there's so many players on this team that had such strong opening statements against Georgia Southern. Kind of the theme for this week is now you have to prove it, right? You kind yeah, of proved that's a good it. way to put it. Yeah. You kind of proved it. You maybe uh, you took some like pre- preliminary exams and you qualified to get to take the test, like the ultimate test, and now. You have to go out there and uh, do it on the big stage with college game day and millions of people watching. I mean, this is why, Brody, college football to me is so great is you have two programs that 10 years ago were some of the most dominant in the country. They have rich history. Uh, Both suffered national championship losses to Alabama that kind of sent them in a tailspin that they never quite recovered from. Both are now trying to claw their way back into consistent national relevance. And both are moving in the right direction. And both have a ton of momentum. However, all of that positivity, all of that momentum, all of that morale boost, that's all going to be pushed into the center of the table this Saturday. And it is a winner-take-all affair. And that is what I Oh, that is what I love, man. No, it really is beautiful. It does feel like there's so much on the line here. But there's probably... I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. There's probably more in line for LSU. If LSU loses yes, this game, it looks bad. Well, because also I think LSU, I look, I think that LSU's ahead in that rebuilding process. 100%. I think Texas is where LSU at was at maybe last year or maybe a couple of years That's ago. Right. Yeah. Um, but but so so I, I agree. So LSU and if I think you lose, LSU you might, better. You might go 9 and 3. And that's yeah. that's bad. That's bad. And, and I think and I just think LSU is a better team than Texas is right now. Yeah. And then if Texas loses, you know, you're in the Big 12, you know, it's relatively winnable. Say you lose by six points, finish 10-2, and you still had a good year. And they're still happy. Texas would still be happy with the year. Texas fans would be. Yeah. uh, The expectations are sky high and even higher now after that week one performance for LSU. And it would just, if as much as we talk about, I mean, if LSU's offense doesn't work against Texas, there will be a lot of, like, like everything from last week will be erased. 
there will be some pandemonium. If LSU's offense doesn't work, I laudua. Not as good. I, I Not as good no, as I told us. We'll, we'll uh, workshop it. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. That could have been really a big thing for No, us. no. Not only would you erase all of the newfound confidence in the in the, um, in the the offense, but think about this. I mean, for Ogeron, it would just be another blow to the yeah. faction of fans that still don't want to accept him as the right man for the job. Whereas if you win, then you almost gain full acceptance. Like, it's like, like you did it. Yeah, yeah like, you, like you, yes. you checked every box. The, the people that would not be able, you know, the people that did not believe that you are the guy would have not a great leg to stand on. But if you lose, the opposite would be true because then you could point to Jimbo last year and say, well, you know, we yep. wanted him and you lost him. We wanted Herman and you lost wow. Herman. So, oh, I love this. You're like giving me so many new stories. Yes, I'm this is great. I, I hadn't even thought of it that way. This game is juicy. It is as juicy of a stake as you will ever find in college football, and I'm about to fight my teeth <laughs> in it. It's so true that, yeah, if you if you pull this off and the offense works, look, go down every checklist. I can't think of any wouldn't have hit. Yeah. You, you Recruiting, got it. Yep. Might have a top three class this year. Defense, it is what it's supposed to be every year. You might have your best yet this year. I mean, I guess offensive line's one thing, but offense is the big bugaboo. It's the big white whale for LSU football, and if you have that, it's like, oh. Then you've done it. You, that's a, that, crossed, that all of Well, his- beat Bama. Never mind. We yeah, have one more. True, true, one more. Beat Bama. But, all of it, but all the other campaign promises that he yes. made when he was campaigning for this job. It wasn't a great look early on, right? Because yeah. the Canada stuff didn't work out. But it looks like they fixed that problem maybe now. And the recruiting class, the first year wasn't great, but it was awesome last year. And it looks even better this year and next year. And so, yeah, but, but like you said, but that's all pushed to the center of the table. And especially with recruiting. I mean, they get a lot of cats out of Texas. There are a lot of LSU players walking around in that locker room from Texas this week who are fired up because they know that this is their shot to to prove to themselves that they made the right choice in spurning their home state to go in LSU. I remember my own experience back in 2009 uh, playing a game in Athens, Georgia, as someone who grew up playing high school football in Georgia, and to get that win felt like such an incredible validation of my decision-making and I knew that I would never have to go back to Athens again, so I could basically just spend the rest of my life with that little feather in my in my cap. I was so happy when we won that game. Shows you how much the internet's changed. This was two thousand nine, um, <laughs> ten years ago. I remember I was immediately middle school. Yeah, I remember immediately after the game, um, flicking off all of the crowd, double birds, uh, the student section, and just T-Bob. laughing at them. And cursing at them, but like nowadays, Marcus, I feel don't like do that. nowadays I feel like that would have been picked up and gone yeah. viral in a second. You would have been a villain. Yeah, there wasn't a peep about it. So, so <laughs> that, thankfully, but anyway, it no, means a lot no, to the cats from Texas. And I, you piqued my interest on this that thing about the idea of oh wow, if you would have lost Jimbo and Herman, that'd be and it's almost now you're fast, you're blowing my mind because now it's like that might be the storyline we look back on this year. It's not just that, by the way. This might be the storyline of this year when we look back on it. It isn't right now, but it might be down the road. Is this is the year we might decide. It's it's a big year for Ed Ogeron and coaching matchups. Yep. Herman, obvious storyline. Jimbo, lost to him last Neither year. Been. That obvious storyline. Then you got Dan Mullen. That's one you, people are going to forget about. Oh, but Ed Ogeron and Dave Aranda both have not done well against Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham. No, that's, that, I mean, very true. That's like, I mean, I would say Dan Mullen is the one coach that I can, uh, Jimbo last year, but Dan Mullen's the one coach I've ever seen just like flat out beat Dave Aranda just objectively. Yes, yes. And, and you saw it again last yeah. year. So and then you got that, and then the obvious Saban one. 
So this is almost like the proving year for Ed Ogeron. And it's, it might not because be fair. It, well, but because, well, I think it is fair, though, because he's bringing a legitimate top 10 team to bear and a great coach with that talent level. Like, maybe it's not fair against, like, a Saban where that team's going to be better than you. But every other team you just mentioned, LSU's going to have a talent advantage. Yep. Like, I don't feel crazy saying that. Eh, Mike Dettelier came on, came on the program the other day and said that there are a lot of people who believe that all 11 starters on LSU's defense will eventually get drafted. Not a lot of huh. other teams are going to be able to say that. Um, and so you're going to have a talent advantage. And so that comes down to the coaching. And so you, you I, I, because of how good I think this team is, I, I, I think it's fair to, to hold this coaching staff to that type of standard. And uh, yeah, that's a really and, good point. And, and and yeah, so now they just have to go out and improve it. And and, and it's, it's tough, man, because I'm really I, I'm full of unbridled optimism after that <laughs> Georgia Southern game because everything looks so good, and not just the offense, but like the defense yeah. too. Like I, I just I think I lost sight of how talented this defense really could be. Um, and I'm somebody who's not an LSU fan and does not care. Yeah. And I'm I'm a very over the top optimistic too, just to give you the benefit of the doubt there. And so and so now it's just though I'm I guess the only thing holding me back a little bit is when you turned on the film, and this is the same thing for Texas and Louisiana Tech. Um, LSU and Texas were clearly just a different cut of athlete than yeah. the guys that they were going against last week. And so you did what you were supposed to do then. Can you do it when the competition improves? Um, and the best example I'd go with is that first touchdown, Jamar Chase. Great play, not arguing that, but that was a tight window. Yeah. Is that is that window there against Texas? Probably not. I mean, probably not. The throw deep to Thad Moss where the safety didn't get over. Yep, that's a, a tight one. window. A beautiful throw. Is that there? We'll, 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 we'll have to see. Um, so so this will be if, – if, if I kind of feel like right now it's like – you're holding back the floodgates. The dam is about <laughs> ready to burst, wow. but like You're people aren't—they're—they're not—they're not all in yet. Like the dams is—it's—it's there's leaks, there's leaks poking through the walls. And if you go and especially if you look dominant, like I think LSU could roll. If you go and you yeah. win this game by double digits, you will be making a statement not just to your fan base. You're making a national statement that LSU is a legitimate playoff. Contender and um, yeah. with that, with the variance in results there from just utter disappointment and all that positivity just being siphoned away to all of that positivity just being extrapolated and multiplied and growing exponentially. That's all on the line, and you got sixty minutes. You got a four-hour TV broadcast to justify or or to decide was all the work that you did it in the offseason worth it? The hours that you spent running during the summer when it's 120 degrees outside, uh, lifting with Moffitt, penalty runs, trying to get your grades right so that you can play, (laughs) watching film. like Year-round you work for this day, and it all comes down to this day. Who can handle that pressure and who can handle that spotlight better? Yeah, beautifully said. And if you win this game, you know, assuming they win their next four, you are like like you were in the playoff conversation for a month. Absolutely. You are – Firmly in. If you you also it. set yourself up to where you could be a one-loss playoff You can team. afford a loss, yes. Yes. Like, you could, if, if you lose to an Alabama and you beat everybody else, so you're golden. You will still get in. Now people can say, oh, they actually played somebody. You play the SEC schedule. You're going to get the benefit of the doubt in an argument. I agree. I agree. Uh, even though the SEC sucks now. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, I will say this. The SEC is not nearly as powerful a conference top to bottom as they've been in the past. And last week improved that. Still top-heavy. 
Still got some good teams up at the top. The ranked teams, I think, are all pretty solid. But, I mean, the bottom of this conference is garbage. I, I don't know about your opinion. I feel like Nick Saban has um, just, not, not on purpose, but he has worn, he has poison-pilled the SEC. He has murdered so many coaches and had them replaced Ooh. at such a consistent rate. And a lot of times they're replaced with his own lackeys because these guys are just trying to get even a little bit of that saving magic. Only guess what? You know why Jeremy Pruitt looked like a great defensive coordinator? Because he had the best players in the country. Like it's the same reason why we coach said was the best defensive mind of like exactly. Yeah. It's the same reason why we said like you can't judge Alabama players all the time because on any given week their team, the guys they're playing next to, are going to be more talented than the team across them. So what happens when you put that individual player on a more equal footing? How does he fare? The same thing with Alabama coaches. Every single week they're coaching a a, a squad that is just flat out better than the team across from them. So when they get these jobs, they go also when they fail, like a lot of reasons, that's why. It's because it wasn't them. It was a talent. And uh, so – and then I think you saw a little bit of that. So this is a great debate. I know we probably got to wrap up shortly, but this is I love this conversation because I do agree in the past 10 years that's been the case with the save and ruining coaches and whatnot thing. Yeah. But I feel like, okay, it's the first year in a long time. I don't remember the stat that there's no new SEC coaches. Everyone's sure. back. I feel like Ole Miss is in trouble. Yes. But, I mean, I look at a lot of this conference. I think Chad Morris is a good coach. I think in the long run we'll turn that around. Maybe so. I don't know. I mean, it's a tough gig, but Missouri's in Okay, that's it's a, tough because we all love Missouri. Barry Odom, what a great coach! He's got it going in the right direction. And that's a bad all loss, these things. but I still think long run Missouri has a fine year. I really do. Mm. I really think so. Bold, I love it. It's a bold statement. It feels. I'm very I'm bold a, after they got their ass kicked by Wyoming. I'm okay. One thing you will ever learn on this podcast with me is I'm a huge believer in things revert back to the mean. Yes. Okay. So when the world Numbers reacts got. to this, if I'm a gambling man, I know I'm betting on that team next week. Yeah. Because everyone's going to overreact. You know, like Purdue is a good example this week. Like, I saw that line already drop two points next week. It's like, Purdue uh, might be a good bet next who's, I, I picked Purdue in my pick. Who are they playing again? Are they Wyoming? Uh, yeah, I think Which they is are. funny. Yeah, because yeah. now Wyoming's inflated, yeah. right? But, okay, I think Missouri's in pretty good hands. I think they're actually running that program pretty well. Tennessee, I mean, we'll see, but I still think Tennessee Bro, is... I mean, Georgia State's terrible. Georgia State is oh, terrible, though. You talk about revert to the mean. I can't, I, I, I can't, even, I can't even engage <laughs> with revert to the mean with Tennessee losing at home. To a Georgia State team that was what three and nine or something last yeah, year, two and ten maybe. Two and ten. Yeah. Somebody told me this. I don't know if it's true. This was like the first road game that they've won in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, Tennessee's at rock bottom. Since we're late in the show and maybe people aren't listening anymore, I just want to let the world know I had plus twenty six. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, I'll but did, that late in the show. But did you take the money line? No, you not, bum. That's a fool's bet. Yeah. But well, no, nah, you I don't even know if that's listed. You know what I mean? Like that might not even been listed. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I can't entertain. But my point is, like, I just feel like the SEC burned down Tennessee's program. I think Tennessee's going to be fine. It seems like they're recruiting pretty well. So in the long run, maybe not this year. South Carolina, I mean, that's that was a tough way to fall apart. So we'll uh, see on that. Yes. One. No. No. Again, Will Muschamp sucks. What are we doing? Why do we give Will Muschamp the benefit of the doubt every year? He's supposed to challenge in the East. He's going to be Georgia's toughest test. Yada, yada, yada. It's year after year. Will Muschamp is bad. He got a Florida team to an SEC championship a couple of times, and the East yet. was in historically bad shape. He allowed Mizzou to go to back-to-back SEC championships. I'm not there yet. Will Muschamp. But I, you have I years on Muschamp. You have years on Muschamp. Florida was a disaster. I feel Yes. Like South Carolina's been a disaster. I'm not there yet. What has he done? One that, more oh. year. One more year. And now Jake Bentley's hurt. I am the guy who, okay, 
you're also talking to that. Well, yeah, now I might get off the rails. You're talking <laughs> to a Sixers fan who sat through the process. <laughs> I am the most like, no, you gotta, you gotta give him the benefit of the doubt because it goes back to what you're saying. No coaches last because Saban ruins them. And then all of a sudden, every turn team's in turnover, 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 and then no team can build. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. a big believer in like, give people time. Look at Mark Stoops. That, uh, man was, that is true. That is true. That's a don't great be, point. And don't get me wrong. It's a different standard. Like You could win five games in the UK and no one's going to be on your, on your ass. But still, I just think that's an example of like, as long as the, the word from your program is it's competent and it's well run. I mean, you would know better if you're there. I'm not claiming I'm, I'm not in the South Carolina program. I don't know. I'm not either. But as long as the – like, just give people time unless you have some obvious alternative. You know, unless you got your Jimbo when you're firing Kevin Sumlin or something like that. I guess I guess my only problem with that is I feel like I've seen Muschamp at multiple spots now, and I am just firmly not a believer. Who has taken more money – who has stolen more money <laughs> from, from, from Southeastern Conference institutions – then uh, Will Muschamp. Remember when he was like the Texas coach in waiting? Yes. Back in the and then day. He was, like, he was like a home run hire when, uh... by the way, South Carolina won seven games last year. They weren't like. Yeah. Yeah, but they were supposed to be like, they like yeah. preseason, it was like, you know, Nine maybe wins, they could challenge yeah. for the SEC East and like they're the team that can maybe beat Georgia. I'm just saying relativity is important. Like seven wins at South Carolina isn't a disaster. Maybe that's the problem. Well, it's not because South Carolina is a horrid football program yes. traditionally. Before Spurrier brought um, it back up. I mean, that was I mean, the Spurrier years have to feel like a fever dream. Yeah. I don't think they'd ever won. I almost won went there, fun ten... fact, because of those teams. Oh, wow. They had never won 10 games before Spurrier got there in like a 100-year history or something. I think once they had maybe in like the 70s or 80s, and Spurrier gets there and they're winning 11 games. Like exactly. they're stacking him. And, it's like, and oh now my you God. have Clemson as a juggernaut, so that makes that job even harder. That's an automatic loss every year And now. it's a harder recruiting thing. I mean, so I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, man. All right. Yeah, but Muschamp sucks. If they, like, yeah, they win four games this year, sure, you can fire him. But <sighs> if they win six, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fire Will Muschamp. I guess I'm part of the problem because I think you, you are the problem. I'm like, you literally pr- brought I'm up like, a I'm point. Like, fire <laughs> You literally brought up a point about how the problem is people are firing coaches too fast, and then you just named I think three coaches you're cool with firing. Yeah, because they hired bad coaches. Because Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, you can't lose to Georgia State when you're supposed to take a step forward. You just can't do it. I guess I know I lost to Troy, but at least Georgia Troy State's was good. top twenty-five team. My column. Troy was good. Troy Troy won ten games. Yeah, I know. It's very different. Um, but guess what? Like Michigan lost to Appalachian State. Michigan still isn't like wasn't. I actually don't remember what happened that year. I think they were bad that year. Where sure. they? Yeah, I'm sorry. Actually, that was a terrible example. Did their coach end up getting fired that year too? I have no idea. But there's there's a long list of, especially in the past decade, of teams losing stupid week one games. For sure. And, for and, sure. Not and look at Tom Herman in Maryland. Even though it's definitely not the same <laughs> level, he did lose twice in a row there. And hey, who was the who was calling? Who was the interim coach of that Maryland team? Hey, a man who is unemployed right now, Matt Canada, which is a bit odd. Um, oh, well, we're not going down that rabbit hole tonight. No, 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 no. Because we are out of time. Yeah, let's stop. Um, but done with you. Fire Jeremy Pruitt. Fire Will Muschamp. Who else did I want to fire? I think that's actually it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to fire Odom. Yeah, you don't want to fire time. Odom. I'm cool with that. Me. That was just a misstep. Oh, what about Matt Luke? Are you ready to fire Matt um, Luke? I mean, was Matt Luke ever put in a position to succeed? Right, like firing Matt Luke is not as much of a call as it is a foregone conclusion that eventually you arrive at. Like, I feel very badly See, for him. I think Matt, jokes, Matt Luke's the best coach in the SEC. Um, that's, uh, that is a take that we will explore in future weeks because that is a hell of a thing to say. Watch out for that old Miss S&P defense. Yeah, what, what's that? going the on top there? 20, baby. <laughs> Bill Connell even tweeted it. He's like, that's the most I've ever seen a game confuse the S&P Plus. What, <laughs> a, uh, what an incredible, um, cruel twist of events for Ole Miss fans. 
that the one time you get a competent and good performance from your defense, you suddenly have no offense left to speak of. Right as you were excited about the Rich Rod thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, beautiful. Geez. Fire Rich Rod. Maybe. Fire him. Okay. What is he done? It was one game. <laughs> fire them all, uh, except for fire Tom Herman when LSU wins this Saturday. Okay, final prediction for the game Saturday. I was going to sound like a homer or something, but I say 38-24 LSU. I'm 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 right there with you, man. Um, the more I look at it, the more I think about it. I just and, and I am someone who I really try to be objective, and I recognize that I have an inherent sure. bias <laughs> that I try to separate. But I mean, I've called for LSU to lose plenty of times. Um, yeah. I thought they would lose to Auburn last year. Uh, I had them barely squeaking out the Miami game last year, so I underrated okay. them there. Um, so like, I have no problem saying like, yeah, there's times I think they would lose, but I just don't see it this Saturday. I don't think. The national media appreciates two things. I don't think a lot of people realize how dominant this LSU defense is going to be. Yeah. This defense is going to be so much better than last year's defense. And then I don't think they realize um, how different the offense is. Yeah. I toast, baby. I toast. I toast. That's a perfect way to end it. You beat Texas on Saturday. Uh, we'll see you for next week's Hold That Podcast podcast. I'm T-Bob Avery. Thank you so much, Brody Miller. Uh, check out. Tell, tell the people where to check out your work. Uh, theathletic.com or uh, and, if, and by the way we got some 40% off subscriptions right now okay. uh, hit DM me and I'll send you a link I'll help you out give me some give me those sweet sweet numbers yeah I think it's like three bucks a month it's, it's really uh, cheap when yeah. you do that sign up when you do that sign up so go ahead and take advantage of that uh, where are you on Twitter I'm at Brody A. Miller there Thanks, you T-Bob. go Brody A. Miller I'm at T-Bob 53 check out this on 104 and we will see you next week